Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. All right, let's stand for the reading of Luke 22, verses 31 to 34. This is the word of the Lord. It is eternally true. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have been turned again, strengthen your brothers. But he said to him, Lord, with you I am ready to go to prison and to death. And he said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated. We're back in the upper room during the Passover celebration of Jesus and his apostles. We, we now learn that even while this upper room situation has been going on, that Jesus has been engaged on the apostles' behalf in disputing with Satan. Satan has desired something and Jesus has responded to Satan, even as these things are going on. And so... The question that we have when we come to this passage, or one that I have, is what does it mean that that Satan has demanded to sift Peter like wheat? At other times, and this is perhaps why it's confusing, at other times we see that God is the one who is doing the sifting, right? God sifts the wheat in order to separate the wheat from the chaff, the meat, the seed from the chaff. What is clear in sifting is that you have to vigorously shake that wheat, right? So that there is some sort of separation going on. And this is what Satan desires to do with the apostles. He desires to do them violence, to shake them violently so as to cause them to to make shipwreck of their faith. You strike the apostles and you strike right at the center, right at the core of the church. This word permission here, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. That word permission is not there in the original Greek. If you have an NASB, it's in italics, which means that it's an editorial addition to make sense of the, the, um, the grammar So the word permission is not there in the original Greek, but it's supplied. Literally, the passage reads, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has asked or desired you for himself to sift you like wheat. Nonetheless, the permission that Satan requires to do any of his work is implied in in the knowledge Jesus has of the actions of, of Satan here. In his response, does... Notice in in Jesus' response. Does Jesus say that the sifting would not occur? 
He does not say that the sifting would not occur. He says he has prayed. And that the content of his prayer is this, that the faith of Peter wouldn't fail. Whatever is coming, Jesus has prayed for him that his faith wouldn't fail through that. It appears that the violent shaking of Satan would be allowed. Calvin says on this, he says, The meaning of the words, therefore, is this, When a short time hence you shall see me oppressed, know that Satan employs these arms to fight against you, and that this is a convenient opportunity for destroying your faith. And in telling this to Peter, notice that he gives a mixed message to Peter. You will strengthen your brothers... But it will only be after what? You've turned back again. Which implies that for Peter, there's going to be a turning away. Peter clues into what Jesus is saying, and he bursts out, as Peter does, in brash confidence, which shows us that perhaps he was unaware of the intensity of the situation. Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death. And of course, you know the rest of the story. And when push comes to shove, think of it, when Peter's first, when he first has the opportunity to do those things, right? To be ready to go to both prison and to death. When he first has the opportunity to do those things, he claims to not even know Jesus. I don't know. So Jesus responds to to Peter's pride with what should be a a, uh, shocking and sobering prophecy. These words would resonate through the mind of Peter after they were fulfilled. He would remember these words. And perhaps these words were even protecting Peter right at that point of his deepest denial of Jesus in the days that would come. I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied me three times that you know me. Deny three times that you know me. So skipping forward, right, skip forward to verses 54 of this chapter. We read of these three denials of the apostle Peter. Having arrested him, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. After they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them and a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him, said, this man was with him too. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not Know him. A little later, another saw him and said, You are one of them too. But Peter said, Man, I am not. After about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. 
Immediately while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord. How he had told him before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. If you, uh, just an aside here, the best part of the history of Western art music is the setting of that last verse, Bach St. John Passion. If you haven't listened to Bach St. John Passion, go get it. Don't listen to it in English, listen to it in German. But he sets these words, and it's just filled with the greatest of pain. And he just it helps you enter into the, the emotions that Peter was experiencing there as he as he denied his Lord even within sight of him. Jesus turns to him and looks at him. See those words that are remembered by Peter. And yes, they led to grief as he realizes what he has done. But I think they also recalled to mind what Jesus said to him previously, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. I mean, he was close, right? Very close to his faith failing, so close, but it did not fail. It did not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. There, too, is a prophecy of what was to come. He would deny Jesus, but he would return, and when he returned, he would be strong. He would be the source of strength that the other weak apostles would need. He would be the first among equals. He would be a source of strength to his weak and frightened and denying brothers. It is the apostle Peter who wrote, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Right, that's the Apostle Peter in his epistle. He stood there yielding to the prophesied temptations. He had not been sober of spirit. He had not been alert even though Jesus had told him. He had nearly been devoured. And would that you and I had more of a sense of the battle around us. That indeed Satan still does prowl about. That sin easily entangles us. And that the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life attempt to lure us away from the Father to the world, right? To derail. There are are forces at work to derail our worship of the Creator and replace it with the worship of the creation. Would that we admitted more often the temptations that face us, the things we know are constant but are seldom shared. Right? Would that we had a sense that it is because of Jesus' intercession, just like it was in the case of Peter, that our faith doesn't fail. It is sustained supernaturally by the prayers of Jesus and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 
God himself. Yes, it takes divine intervention to fight against temptations, to fight against the world, to fight against the flesh, to fight against the devil. Indeed, it took the death of Jesus, and so it is no joke. But think on this aspect of Jesus' words for Peter. After Peter sinned, he was not given time to be impotent. To be out of action for a while. Right? He had to lift himself up. He had to brush off the, the filth of his sin. Brush off the dirt. And, and get back in the game. Right? He... he I, I, I was, as I was thinking about this, I remembered the, um, the wide world of sports, the ABC intros to the wild, wide world of sports when the guy is coming down the ski jump, right, and he goes off the side of the ski jump and just, it's horrible. It's horrible. He wrecks into the, the, the crowd and the fencing there. And uh, those, those famous words, the agony of defeat, right? If that ski jumper were Peter, he'd have to extract himself from the netting, put the skis back on his feet, climb back up the tower and go down and set a world record. That's what he'd have to do. Peter had to get back up, given what Jesus said, and lead. He had to get back up and lead. And so there's a double temptation with our sins and our failures, right? Not only is there... The first failing, but then there is the response to that failure, to that sin. You can either stand and change, or you can never get up and make every excuse for your ongoing failures and impotence and sin. Let's say you fail your first math test of the year. The good response would be what? to redouble your efforts, to study harder, to meet with the teacher, make sure you understand it, to commit yourself to grow, right? To get back and take the test again and do better. The bad response would be what? To mope, to shuffle around and say, I'll never pass a math test. I'm stupid. I want to quit. I quit. And 25 years later, you'll be telling people that you're a math idiot. And you will refuse to do math. The same thing happens with our relationship, doesn't it? We assume that early failures and sins are inevitably current and continuing failures and sins. Husbands, your weakness has led your wife to be the leader of your home. And it wasn't two weeks after the honeymoon that those failures surfaced when you were making decisions about your home and your time and how it would be. It is the way things are now. They are now established. They are fossilized. And each step of the way, repentance, though required by God, seems to be a most drastic and terrible step. You have made peace with your sins. You have made peace with the status quo. It would be as if Peter got up and decided to be a Pharisee rather than to be the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ who led the apostles to worship the Lord. 
So not so Peter. Jesus required him to strengthen his brothers after his return. He would not be able to set up a pattern of sin, a pattern of stubborn but easy failure. He had to repent and lead. The one who was afraid of a servant girl, who had no authority or power over him to do anything to him whatsoever, that same man was now called to lead the church into fierce opposition and persecution after Jesus leaves. And so Peter remembered these, those words, you will deny me three times, but he was obligated then to remember Jesus' other words, which were, and when you are converted, and when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. And of course, at the end of the Gospel of, of John, right, we see Jesus' wonderful restoration, wonderful encouragement of Peter. It is not just that Peter had to pull himself up by his bootstraps, right, and get, get to work. He had to remember what Jesus said. He had to remember the Word of God to him. He had to remember all those promises that Jesus had made to him. John 21, verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to him, Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wish. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, what did he say? There's one last word at the end, two last words at the end of this. He said, follow me. He said to Peter, follow me. And so those last words are the the words Peter had to remember after his betrayal and that you and I have to remember after we've sinned. Follow me. Follow me. Right, You can hear those words, follow me, resonating through what Peter says here. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Peter denied God. And the next day he had to wake up and be the one who was going to go strengthen his brothers. He had to live now for the will of God, not for his own lusts, 
God did not give him years to mope and years to be impotent and years to wait for repentance and years to make excuses and years right to attribute your sin to your mommy and your daddy years to give himself a pass on his lovelessness by attributing it to his harsh personality years to orient himself in this life not according to the righteousness of Christ but according to his own failures the denier the denier of Jesus Christ had to affirm every word of Jesus Christ for the rest of his life the one who protected himself from arrest would have to live every day knowing that he could and would be led to arrest and a particular kind of death. The weak one, Peter, had to rise up and be the strength. And so, I mean, this is a hopeful message. Peter was weak, and then he was strong. Right? You children who have disrespected your parents, God requires you to repent and show what it means now to respect your parents. To his glory. Husbands who have made the, the truce with your wife. Whereby she will be happy as long as you never ever show any kind of spiritual leadership or maturity. God requires you to follow Jesus. To repent. And to show what it means to spiritually lead, yes, a woman. You parents who have refused to discipline your children, God requires you to follow Jesus now. The days for you not disciplining your children are over. Now you must follow Jesus, repent, and begin to use the means that God has given you to discipline your children before they end up in prison. You men who who have looked at pornography. You women who have looked at pornography. God requires you to follow Jesus and to repent and now be pure. You mothers who don't like your children. God requires you to follow Jesus, to repent, and now be a mother to them. Women who are, are discontent and filled with regrets, God requires even you to follow Jesus, to repent, and to be content even with suffering. Long-term drug abusers, God requires you to follow Jesus, to repent, and demonstrate that godliness is not being mastered by anything. Materialists, God requires you to follow Jesus, to repent, and to love Jesus first. And even if yesterday, even if yesterday was the day you denied Jesus, right? Even if yesterday was the worst day yet, your worst day as a husband, your worst day as a wife, as an employee, your worst day as a sexual being, today is the day when you are required by God to change course. Like Peter went from discourager of the brethren to strengthener of the brethren, so you too must, by faith, move on. 
And you are saying, well, pastor, I need faith for that. Would that Jesus had said a prayer for me like he said for Peter. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Well, get this, Romans 8, 26. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That prayer is being said for you by the Spirit even now. This growth in holiness, this picking up and moving on through repentance and faith, that is the very joy of the Christian. It is his first purpose in this life. Our most important task is not the making of money. It's not the reading of books. It's not the experiencing of new experiences. It's not climbing a higher mountain. It's not the pursuit of of all kinds of wonderful pleasures and contentments. Rather, our first and primary work and first and primary joy is to honor God. To glorify God, to live for God by pursuing our holiness, by pursuing our sanctification. Paul wrote to the, to the church of the Thessalonians, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Christians are not people of the status quo. The status quo is evil. The Apostle Peter, as well as the Apostle Paul, had to forget what was in the past and rise up and press on in the Christian faith. God had work for them to do. He had responsibilities for them to share. He had authority for them to exercise. And that meant for both of those men that they had to believe Jesus to be their advocate with the Father for when they did sin. And also to understand that their growth and holiness, that their sanctification was God's will, and it was God's requirement for their whole lives. The Apostle Peter, after the intercession and encouragement of Jesus Christ, went about the world preaching boldly. He went about witnessing before the powers of Jerusalem and the whole Roman world. Right, And, and that required him to get beyond this denial of Jesus Christ. He did not stagnate. He did not write poems about his brokenness. He did not continue in sin so that grace might abound. He did not concoct a theology that that taught that he was born a Christ denier. And that being a Christ, he was a Christ denier Christian, right? He did not go about telling people he was a Jesus denying Christian, like many say today about being a homosexual Christian. He did not embrace his impotence and go around saying that strangely defeatist phrase, I guess all I can do now is pray. 
All I can do now is pray. Has it come to that? He sinned grievously. He wept bitterly. He repented. He was restored graciously. And then he became strength to his brothers. You've sinned grievously. You have wept bitterly. Repent. Remember the cross of Jesus Christ. And move forward now by faith. Trusting his promises. That they're not empty shells. There's a passage in 2 Peter that brings these things together again by that same apostle who denied. Starting with the promises of God, it moves on to the application and outworking of the promises of God. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to this, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, for this very reason, also applying all diligence. It's not that this isn't hard work. It absolutely is. Now, for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and your moral excellence, knowledge, and your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and your perseverance, godliness, in your godliness, brotherly kindness, in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities, he who lacks these increasing qualities, is blind or short-sighted, And what's the problem? Having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Peter had not forgotten his purification from his denial of Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Peter stumbled badly. But Peter got up and he applied with all diligence moral excellence and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness. Why? Because God had work for him to do. God had his glory to shine through this, this miserable apostle. And he has work for you to do. It requires you 
to remember that you've been purified from former sins and to move on now into godliness by faith. The Spirit is praying that for you. Let us pray. Father, we pray and ask that the Spirit's work would continue through to the the great day of Jesus when we stand before you and are judged according to our works. Father, we thank you that there are tomorrows, there are new days, there are new creations, there are Uh, There is life after death. There is righteousness after sin. That there's forgiveness after, after wallowing in sin. And Father, I pray that we would pursue it with all diligence. Pursue it knowing that this is our will in Jesus Christ, our sanctification. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.